Welcome to Holistic Ambition, where we talk with visionary leaders who are redefining what it means to be ambitious. We cover ways you can live with more well-being, meaning, and fun in your career, business, and relationships. I'm your host, Stephanie Toma, life coach for ambitious professionals and author of Confident Introvert. I am so excited to introduce Christina Weber today. She is a private matchmaker, relationship coach, and podcast host of Deepen with Christina that's available on Spotify and Apple. She is the founder and CEO of We Deepen, a network of best-in-class social transformational experiences that shine a light on the human connection industry. Christina has received nicknames such as Human LinkedIn, Your Love Accomplice, and also Feminine Weapon. By creating Feminine Weapon Day January 30th, Christina has raised over 75K for children in underserved communities to receive education and transformational programs through the Orphan Starfish Foundation, Artemore, and She Ready Foundation. Christina launched the now popular The Dating Dojo at Dave Asprey's eighth annual biohacking conference in Beverly Hills. She's also the creator of Shop and Shag, <laughs> profit grocery stores on Monday nights, and co creator of Relate Fest for people endlessly curious about relationships. Welcome. Oh my gosh. I am so curious about the shop and shag actually. Oh my gosh. Shop and shag. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so funny to, to um, I just added that into my bio. Um, I, okay. So air one. So Venice or Los Angeles, I'll say has the um, ritzy grocery store. It's like the best food ever, but it's so expensive. Uh, and the one in Venice is a hangout space. You go into that store and if you live, if you're a local Venice, you're going to run into somebody that, you know, most likely, and it's all a bunch of beautiful people. And back in 2018 or 2019, I was, um, so that the grocery store, um, you can, you can buy dinner and food to, to go and, and eat there. And so I was, it was late night and I was, um, sitting in one of the the seats in front of the window at the the grocery store, and um, a guy came up to me and he said, "You know, these seats are reserved for singles after in the evening. Like singles sit here." And I was like, "What?" And just I didn't realize at the time the guy was hitting on me because I was so um, curious and in love with the concept that singles sit here in the evening. And I ended up leaving and I was, I ran to friends and I was like telling them the story. And I was like, we should make a singles night at air one, like single shop. And my girlfriend's like, yeah, let's call it shop and shag. And we deepen was new at the time. So I threw it up on the calendar every Monday, single shop at air one. And uh, then COVID happened. And so everything changed during that period of time, our calendar system changed. And a few weeks ago, so now we're we're at the, the top of 2023. And a few weeks ago, I get an Instagram message from LA Mag. And um, and they're asking me, they're they're doing a their cover story for February of 2023 on post post-pandemic dating. They're featuring dating at Air One. And so she wanted to interview me about Shop and Shag. And with that query, I was like, it's coming back. Shop and Shag has returned. And I jumped on a plane and came out to Los Angeles and um, and Shop and Shag is back. So every Monday, Air One Venice, 9 to 11 p.m., single shop at Air One. 
And the code word is soup. Mm. So you can take the code or walk around and be like, anyone want some soup? Who has some soup? And and just like, you know, uh, most people don't want to meet their significant other on a dating app. And the grocery store is like one of the most communal places. Also, we're living in a time period where a lot of people are waking up from um, the kind of the, the, the dark spirit energy of alcohol. And they're like, I don't necessarily want to go to a bar, but like, I don't want to be on a dating app. So where do I go? And why not your local grocery store? Oh my gosh, Christina, yes, snaps to all of that. As as a fellow, I love my tea, love my elixirs. And now I got to get over to, is it, how do you spell it? Air one? Air one, air one. Air one. E-R-E-W-H-O-N. However, I've since I bought shopandshag.com and now it reverts to we deepen at the moment. I got the secured the Instagram and I'm like, I'm going to go to grocery stores, like the hottest grocery store in in metropolitan cities and um, and tell them like, I want to bring Shop and Shag every Monday. Maybe we start like a trend every Monday, 9 to 11 p.m. at hip grocery stores in um, in in cities, single shop. It's like, let's go just be in person and practice your social skills. Use discernment, but be friendly to one another. Help each other. If you're in a relationship, go play a wingmate for the singles that are shopping at the grocery store. I love that. And, you know, for anyone in San Francisco, I don't know if you've heard of Dateway. It's a safe way that becomes like a, a haven for people. But this was pre-COVID. So I think that San Francisco is once again right for shop and shag to make its way here. Um, <laughs> and what is this date, um, date, yeah, so, dateway? It, it's the one near Fort Mason in San Francisco where on Sunday nights, it was an unspoken thing, but I love how you have a code word. It's much more structured. And I think it lends even greater, you know, consent, emotional safety for people that are wanting to kind of like experiment with this whole concept of meeting in person instead of an app. Yeah, cool. I would love to meet the people who created Dateway. Yeah, it seems like an urban legend. I haven't been able to tie it to someone, but that that'll be something that you know we can put in the back. <laughs> cool. But you know, now you've mentioned uh, how this really cool article has come out about uh, dating in a post-COVID, post-pandemic world, and you know, I'm curious about what you've noticed. Overall, uh, the major changes have been, or even a tip that you give people that are, let's say, reemerging from app land or reemerging from being in a relationship or being single for a long period of time. Uh, yeah, I'll say is uh, one thing that I'm super stoked about is a level of openness to meeting in person at quote unquote dating events or singles events. So interesting, my, my work began in the relationship space in 2014. I had um had had leading up to that moment, I'd I'd produced three concerts and a crowdfunding campaign for a woman-centered brand, Feminine Weapon. And at the end of that stretch, my mother asked me if I was dating anybody. And I looked at her with this blank stare, like dating and did you not see what I just did? Where do you think this man is hiding? And I realized within that question, we have to inject energy in our desires. And I was showing up nowhere in the university. I was open, willing, interested in relationship. Well, at the time, this is summer of 2014, Tinder was the new hot thing. I had never done any online dating. I was sort of anti-online dating. 
But now I had friends who were highly respected, who were gorgeous, who were swiping on this dating app. So I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. I downloaded the app. I played with it for three weeks. I found it to be labor intensive and time consuming. I thought there's got to be a better way. Can we just get everyone into a space? And so for two years, I ran um, what I called a curated dating experience. It was was called Underground Unattached. And um, we would bring together 20 men, 20 women for three hours. And then we'd facilitate a series of activities designed to foster connection, accelerate closeness. The experience was it was it was it was it was a higher price point um, in the sense that it was one fifty to three hundred dollars per person, and everybody filled out a questionnaire, five questions about themselves, five questions about their desired partner. I'd read all the the questions and then I'd have a one on phone conversation with them. Well, this is again New York City, twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen. I ended up towards the end bringing it out to Los Angeles, so I was going back and forth between both markets, and um, and our first like our primary demographic were entrepreneurs. I was working out of a lot of the co-working spaces in New York City, and, and I think entrepreneurs got it. They were like, "Yeah, we 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 were um, were really aware of our energy and our time, and they didn't want to be spending all this time swiping as well. And they also really wanted fulfilling, healthy relationships. Um, I'll say, like a lot of entrepreneurs, kind of are the people who are like breaking out of the matrix. They're like, "Let's do things differently." So they would they were the early adopters and come. But when I would the other markets, like those who worked in finance or PR or something, would a little bit be like, oh, in pr- that's where the desperate people go. Like, who are those people that go to that event? Um, and I was like, okay, you can continue swiping on your dating app because apparently that's not where the desperate people go. They go to in-person events, I guess. And now I'm seeing this openness. So we, um, you mentioned uh, the dating dojo that we recently did at the biohacking conference. Uh, and and I'll say is my my work with Underground and Attach eventually um, expanded into what became We Deepen. And um, in 2022, I got a call from the Biohacking Conference, and um, and they were like, "Hey, you know, Dave wants to have a singles event for the conference. We thought that this would be great for a private matchmaker, a relationship coach, and then we remembered." This is like, this is what you do. Can you give us a singles event? And I was like, well, first, most people don't like to call things singles event. Call it a dating experience. I'm like, okay, dating experience. And then throughout the process, the dating dojo was created. And so there we were in the fall of 2022 is um, we facilitated a dating event for over 200 people at the biohacking conference. And, you know, these are like people at the top of their game. They were doctors and um, health nuts and entrepreneurs and biohackers into this space. And so there's this trend of willingness to be like, hey, I don't, I want to meet in person. I'm okay. But there was now a stigma. There's before stigma, like to say that I'm single and I'm available and I'm interested in dating. And I'm seeing a lot of that being like wiped away. Uh, And I'll say, you know, uh, to add to that, what we saw pre-COVID, there was a stat that I used to um, um, always say is like, you know, 50% of people lie on dating apps and a third of the population never leaves their device to meet anybody in person. Those are pre-COVID stats. I put into the, you know, the new um, chat GT, G, GPT, um, the open API chat that is like blowing my mind 
everyone's mind this week. I think there's so many books and everything and, you know, um, being edited from this new open API. And I asked it, I said, you know, what is the percentage of people who lie on dating apps? 81%. Okay. Well, how does that compare to in person? Are we better off in person? You can suss a little bit more out. Well, what, more out. Yeah, well, what people most lie about on dating apps are age, height, what they do for a career. You can in person, you know, as as the more that you tune in with yourself and be more honest with yourself, the more that you can like sense somebody else is in resonance with that. So I, I do think I don't, I don't want to say like, yeah, I, I, there's probably a less because again, they're, they're lying about very superficial things. Also, I mean, now there's FaceApp. What photos are they really using? We've know so many, I've had thousands of stories of people connecting with somebody and then showing up in person and they're heavier than they appear, older than they appear. All of that is transmuted when you meet somebody in real life. Yeah. And I, I, I so appreciate your emphasis on the in real life. You know, there was a time when it was kind of like, oh, okay, we can't meet in real life. So, you know, we kind of try to make that work, but now we're back and it's time to bring people together again and eliminate the, the catfishing that many people have experienced or can experience on an app. And, you know, I'm curious when it comes to, um, you know, what, what would you say is the main difference between someone who is more perpetually single and swiping nonstop and going, let's say, to dating events all the time, um, but not actually finding that match or that success uh, versus someone who tends to be an, a serial monogamist, always in a relationship? Well, great. Um, interesting question. I mean, it's almost like a, a, a thought to ponder here. Um, and I'm in ponder of it. Like I... I have been doing, um, you know, working in the relationship or the f- industry field of human connection for a decade now. And I am, I turned 42 this year and I'm currently oh. single. And I, um, I, I had those, you know, the, the, the part of the reason why I got into the work, cause I desired a family and to be a mother and those those biological pulls are still are inside of me and I haven't frozen my eggs and I um and I'm 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 in my own journey. And so I I was just actually thinking about this today. So what you know if, if you read the book uh attached, Amira Levine's attached, uh, you know, an attachment theory, I remember hearing years ago that in the dating pool, when you're when you're I, I don't I like to use the word currently single as opposed to single because I am statements are so powerful. So people who are currently single more often, um, he he proposes that a lot of those are avoidance. They're the ones who are getting recycled back into the dating um space much more often than others, secure attachments, find attachments, learn secure relationships. I would challenge that. Uh, and I would challenge that because uh, if you are a human, and I, I as we as we you know started to um, have this pre-talk, you you know this is the um, this podcast or segment is about being ambitious or ambition, and if you live your life like you're here to grow, 
and this is like a journey of self-discovery and connection. Um, sometimes like we're going our our what we're what we're going through as a generation or a, like humanity in this moment, there's so many upgrades happening and there's so many pre-existing conditions to be wiped away and stripped away that some of us might not those things that we're aiming for the white picket fence and the family and this that might not be the timeline that we're on right now and um and so i um i personally struggle like there there's are the thoughts of like who am i i'm a dating coach and a matchmaker and a relationship and i'm currently single like why are people going to listen to me and an advisor was like, well, you're really fucking good at dating. You can get in and out of relationships. Um, but I think, you know, oftentimes um, we see, uh, you know, people who are single and they actually, I, I, I'd like, sometimes I look at them and I'm like, congratulations, you're not in a toxic relationship. Anything is possible for you. Um, I think a lot of people are in relationships right now that they that would behoove them to end so they could go and evolve and grow. Um, I think there's a lot of faith and trust that gets injected into the process. And again, if you're here to grow in the stories that you collect through that experience of seeing yourself in another and, um, and practice being, you know, almost seeing the one in all ones and being the one with all ones, then that is, um, that's, that's, What's the, the up level? Are you, are you in a relationship? I am not currently in a relationship. So okay. I really appreciate this, this reframe that you have that's really rooted in, you know, what is healthiest for you, right? Where it's less about being in a relationship for the sake of being in a relationship. Uh, because certainly there are trauma bonds. Certainly there are twin flames <laughs> that serve their purpose or don't serve their purpose so well. Right. And, you know, this kind of brings me to a question around, uh, you know, a lot of people that go to your We Deep in events, uh, are doing the deep work, right. Doing the shadow work and sort of, um, getting to a place of coherence within the self to have more, like more of themselves integrated to share with someone else. And I'm curious, how do you advise someone in the throes of shadow work simultaneously also seeking a romantic partner? Mm. I think it's a, it's a yes end. I don't think one is dependent upon the other. You can do shadow work in a relationship. You can do shadow work in connection with someone else. This idea of, um, of you know, you have to be whole and complete to, you know, to connect with another person or to put yourself out there. No, you don't. Who said that you have to do that? Like you, through through relationships and connections with other people, we that's how we grow. And and where the edge I think is to actually share with another human being of where you're at. It's a practice of like fully um so when when vulnerability for you know when Brene Brown first started preaching you know vulnerability in like 2014 ish and her TED talks became popular I remember watching it and being like oh 
yeah, vulnerability, cool. So I'd go into my connections and I'd talk about my childhood. Here are the hard things that happened when I was in childhood. It took me a little bit to comprehend that actually no real vulnerability is in the moment speaking to our experience. So we can do that work in connection with another human being. And I often think it's actually, it's really, you know, it's, it's really healthy to have a practice partner. Um, there are, there are these four principles of a conscious relationship that I will often share with somebody. And those four principles are they're, they're by, um, Shelly Ballard, um, um, a marriage family therapist. And she writes of, so the first, the, the first concept is no attachment to outcome growth comes first. So the, the conscious couple, no attachment to outcome growth comes first. It doesn't mean you don't fantasize about, you know, what could possibly be, or what could this become, or maybe one day we'll walk down the aisle and, and we'll get married. You can fantasize about those, but that coming into this, that you're more committed to the experience of growth than you are attached to what the relationship becomes. Principle number two is that uh, um, both parties agree to own their own shit. So in when you're bonding in a relationship, it's expect like all the all the trick when you're pair bonding close all the triggers come up like they all like the jealousy and insecurity those are natural feelings that come up and to um be in a connection with somebody and owning that like that's this is the programming this is like my shit that's coming up be able to speak to it and share that but not blame the other person for what's coming up for you and and I'll say one thing I'll I'll, I'll speak to that I remember years ago I I dated somebody who it was um it was like the, at the end of that relationship, I studied narcissism deeply. It was like, oh, this is, you know, my 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 schooling in relationship has definitely been through an, the experience of having relationships. So at the end of that one, I was like, okay, let's understand narcissism and read every book about narcissism. And um, and and months, 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 months after our breakup, um, we were sitting together um, and recapping the experience. And he said, well, you know, both of us, this was both of us, you know, made this both of our responsibility for the relationship failing. And I remember staring at him and thinking like, definitely not my fault. It's definitely all your fault. I was thinking, and then I realized in that moment, oh, I stayed too long. Like if you're choosing to stay in that experience and blame the other person. You should have left. Why are you sitting there blaming the other person for something? You either take ownership of it or, or you leave because you're blaming the other person. You should have been long gone. You're you're not in alignment with yourself. Number three is that um, all feelings are welcome and no internal process is condemned. So again, you're in pair bonding. You're going to feel all those things. And so you can feel all those things. And it's welcome to feel all those things. So welcome to share all those things with another person and the other person is they're not to contempt you for it. Like they're not to shame you for feeling insecure or jealous or whatever these feelings involved. They're your, it's your own process. And then the final principle, number four is that the, I'll say the relationship, the connection, whatever may be is a place to practice love. Cause love ultimately is a, it's a practice and that's like, and, and I say all those principles, I think those same principles could apply to our work scenarios, our friendships, 
you know, our, our friendship. So anytime, if, if you're intimately relating with somebody else, for sure, bring them into the connection. Um, but it's, uh, it's there, I, I highly suggest those. Um, and there, if you go to wedeepen.com, um, or even just type in up to Google, we deepen, um, four pillars of a conscious relationship, that article will appear. Thank you for that really tangible framework. And it really is so clear that what you're speaking to is that relationships, whether they be romantic or platonic family, they're all a vehicle for growth. You know, you can certainly go into a cave, do your cave thing for, you know, a weekend, a year, 10 years, whatever it is, but being able to allow yourself to be triggered and to take charge of your own emotional reaction or state and be able to clearly communicate your needs and all of that. And, you know, this kind of reminds me of last year, I was dating someone and we read the book Eight Dates by Gottman. And we went through the process of going on, you know, the dates in a certain structure where maybe one is talking about the topic of conflict resolution and, you know, various topics. And being having that growth mindset is just is so crucial. I, I really want to emphasize um, how much I I am for that. Thank you for bringing that up in particular. And, you know, you mentioned um, in your bio, part of the bio that I didn't read, that uh, Esther Perel is one of your greatest influences. So I would love to hear if there are any uh, nuggets of wisdom that you have learned through her work that you infuse into your work in love and relationships. Ah, oh, Esther Perel. Thank goodness for Esther Perel. Yes. And you can see of, of what, you know, as Sarah's work began with um, studying romantic love and romantic relationships, and then she did roll over and apply that to work. You know, her first podcast being uh, "Where Do We Begin," which was, you know, where on her podcast she interviews uh, um, couples who are going through challenges. And then her second podcast is called "How's Work." So she did take in when you start studying romantic love, you can apply that to all the relationships in your life. Esther, she um, she was she, like, if you actually look at We Deepen, it's almost as though I um, took everything that she said and applied it into build a company. Uh, there was a even a what affirms this. Uh, she had a talk at South by Southwest 2018, and she literally does a, um, a on stage. She um, does pretty much a call to all the entrepreneurs in the room, being and. And she says, you know, I go to these conferences all the time and there's like the innovation sector and the wellness sector and the food sector. She's like, but you guys have been forgetting about relationships. You got to integrate relationships inside of this. Uh, and that is, I mean, the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our relationships. So with Esther, she speaks about how, um, you know, relationships need to live inside of a larger social constructs and to be supported by community. And that also in relating, um, you know, it's a journey of, of self-discovery and, and collective discovery. And, um, and that when we're in our partnerships, we're seeking like mystery, like complete, like spontaneity and mystery. But then we're also seeking, you know, security and stability. Um, and so these two opposing 
desires. And one person can't be your one all in everything. So when I was out there and I was focusing on, um, you know, doing this one dating experience. And uh, so each, you know, um, uh, I would do it probably about monthly. And sometimes people would repeat, but usually, you know, people would come, majority of people would come once and then they would go on their way. Uh, and I realized that, well, bonds build best over time. So I need these people to see each other again and again and again. And then also there was a craving of learning relational skills and being in states of play and joy and fun. Esther talks about this as well. So when you're in, um, like when you're in an improv workshop or an ecstatic dance, like it's in those moments, you're more likely to connect with other people because you're present and you're activated and you're happy. Um, and so the weaving together of of essentially all of the social and transformational experiences, and I, you know, as you read, best in class because I would essentially go out and we curate those experiences to bring them into one platform, and so people are essentially journeying through these the experiences, and they're seeing each other again and again and again. And to feel a state of belonging in life, you have to know people, and people have to know you. So those two things have to happen you know, in, in, in congruent and, and to see people like to be able to look them in the eyes. And, um, and so that's kind of, it's all woven into in this one idea that one person can't be your one all and everything. A lot of, um, you know, that, that idea that as we're, as we, as we enter into say, whether it's during high school or college or after we get out and you're out in the world and they're like, I need to find this one person so I can build a life with and have a sense of belonging and all the things and and, um, and that that thing to find the one person because that's going to bring you the most satisfying that's how you're going to feel love I kind of call bullshit on you know we can't we're not like we're, we're meant to be in in and we like need each other um so that's, that's one thing. And also too, is like the whole idea of like men and women can't be friends. And there's a lot to unprogram and uncondition. And we do that when we step into these spaces together. And the last thing I'll say is like, you know, as I was doing this one, the, the underground unattached experience for that two years, it's like when I really saw of, um, as being an entrepreneur, they tell us, you know, go out there and solve problems. And so when I looked at the problem, I was like, well, most people didn't grow up observing healthy relationships. There's a lack of relationship role models. And then the topic is completely neglected in our educational curriculum. Like they're not, they're nothing. Like they're barely even teaching sex right now, let alone erotic wellness, conflict resolution, communication, authentic relations, self-discovery, because the more that you know about yourself, the more that you can share that self with another human being. Um, and and also to be you know the the one person can't be your one all everything we also so society is so conditioned right now of of like um in in many areas of unsure about wanting to know the truth and letting other people be their most real and truthful self and one thing that i'll say that has been newly on my mind so i consider myself a a straight female. 
Um, and I have heard that, you know, a lot of that, that most people have a, a percentage of like queerness inside of them, but it hasn't, our society has not activated and allowed for that in any way. And women to be bisexual is accepted for the most part, um, more accepted than a man to be bisexual. That's like a no-no. If a woman discovers that her, the guy that she's dating is, you know, queer in some sense, or maybe he's like friendly with his guy friend, something of that sort. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a red flag. It's like, no, he's gonna, he's gay. He's gonna leave me for somebody. And so there's a, there also is a progressive conversation because oftentimes where that stigma, it's, a, it's like, it's like, it's almost like if I go to racism, the reason, one of the reasons racism exists so much, like the Ku Klux Klan, it's because they've never actually be friends. They never sat down and had a drink with a black man. Right. <laughs> um, and here, similar to this, it's like, there's so much closetedness happening and secrets happening that a lot of people don't even know the reality within um, intimacy and, and and sexual relating because it's just behind closed doors and you don't get access to see it. And that's what we aim to do with We Deepen is bring that stuff into the light and share spaces and um, and break down the stigmas of it. Yes. And, you know, that's such a crucial component. Um you know, whether it be different kinks that someone has, whether it be um, some fluidity in, you know, what you're interested in, there's so much room for people to explore that within themselves, first and foremost, um, you know, and also to hold space to authentically expand their comfort level potentially with the people that they consider friends, family, um, even intimate partners, right? Um, because you know, you mentioned that example of how in when it comes to bisexuality, let's say that a woman that's pretty much maybe due to the porn industry, <laughs> like it's it's more or less embraced. But then when it comes to a man who is exploring in that way, uh it is a sort of double standard where that can be a deal breaker for some people. And, you know, this is a good opportunity to even explore what can become something that is open to more discussion and curiosity versus shutting down and passing judgment. Yeah. And, and I'll add to that is, you know, the, the, the TV show love is blind. Great series. Um, I, I was truly, I, I never, fully got into The Bachelor. Uh, but this show, I was like, wow, this is really unique. However, I will add the caveat that they always had a drink in their hand. I wish they could have just eliminated the alcohol and brought in some coaches and therapists and tantra activities and supported them in the connection. Um, but on season one, there is a couple that um, goes from part one where they're, you know, falling in love with each other behind closed doors without ever seeing and they propose to each other and then the five couples that propose to each other go to um, a vacation resort to um, get to know their now fiance um, and and there's this couple it's, a, it's a, actually a black couple who um, the man works up the courage to share that he's been with other men and she freaks out a whole fight ensues and they end up leaving the show. 
And I watched that and I was like, wow, we just missed a teaching opportunity. That was something right there to dive deep into that just happened on like, you know, the larger millions and millions of people watch the show. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for that moment that that was like the first like peek into it. Um, and, and I think too, with now in dating as well, um, for a moment, I'm curious if someone were to come to you and ask for coaching on this topic, let's say that someone listening is a bisexual man and has reservations around sharing it. Let's say that there's a woman listening and either in the past or in the present, in the future, um, she's in this situation where there's this sort of confronting experience of learning that her partner or, uh, you know, has been with other men. How would you coach someone in that situation? Well, I would coach someone typically in a two hour period of time. Yes. <laughs> so there would be a lot to dive into that. I don't do any, really any of my sessions are less than two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and we would, we would through curiosity, um, generally where my, my sessions are, we start with, um, a specific goal in mind, what we want to accomplish within that session and why it's important. And then we move through any barriers or blockages that may hold them back to us achieving that goal by the end of the session of where they aim to be. And then we dissect it through curiosity, these intuitive questions and, um, reframing and, um, looking at it to really strip away to see what's truly true to for them because we're all different like everybody every single person is different um so that's kind of 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 like that and that's why it even I can't do a session under two hours for the most part is because we really have to go into um into that dissecting process it's almost like a little surgery um to see what's what's there and what comes up and maybe it's one session, but majority of them are, are, you know, three month engagements. Um, that's where we really do the work through nine sessions. Um, yeah, but, but each, each human, each human is different. Yeah. And it sounds like, yeah, no, go on because I I was going to throw in a new thought. So you keep going with this one. I was just going to say, it sounds like like if someone is feeling that visceral response, let's say that everything is in alignment, except for that piece is really triggering. It sounds like uh, you're able to walk people through uh, a process of actually getting to know what is theirs versus what is society's and uh, to kind of dissect the trigger and get to their truth in a way that will allow them to either healthily uh, and mindfully dissolve the relationship or to build upon that, um, that authentic sharing. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, it's like, you know, usually that, the output of, um, you know, when I, in, in, in coaching sessions, I don't, I don't aim to give advice, um, but there might be some parts of the session based upon my life experiences and my teachings and my, my, my studies that I might make some recommendations. And oftentimes I'll make recommendations of, um, here are the people that you should meet. Here is where you should go. And a lot of them, they include experiences. Um, and, and I see, you know, there is um, a trend of play parties and sex parties and, um, and experiences to activate people's sexuality. And that's not generally been my world. Um, actually, I, I'll reframe that. It's been my world, but I haven't 
I'm more of like, I have friends around who they go into this world and I hear all the stories about the world and they're producing these events. And, um, and maybe I've gone to a couple, but like, um, but I, I, I see how, um, that exploration process and to more be around other people and to try to come from a space of like understanding, um, Oh, and and yeah, and this is what I was going to say is, you know, it's, as I shared of, I turned 42 this year uh, and I spent my 30s, you know, and my, my, my process of like, find my significant other so I can have a baby and family with. And, and, and I have had long periods of time, like a year without sex. More time will go by and like, then I'll have a relationship and then potentially be another seven months. Like, oh my God, it's been seven months or, oh gosh, it's been another year and a half. And I realized like, so so sex is so activating for the human, but I don't want to have sex with anybody. Like, I'm not even like a sex with anybody, but there's the cultivating of that sexual energy and to also not be in like, to create these spaces that we don't put all these boxes in the way for us to feel more greater pleasure in our life. And, you know, I feel like this ties in this whole idea of stigma and pleasure and overcoming all of that to find what's true. I'm curious how that ties in with your nickname and the movement on January 30th, Feminine Weapon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. For us. One thing I want to say though, before we jump into that is like around um, dating and what I'm seeing is uh, there's also um, the vaccine is definitely re- reshaping dating and, um, and, and there's, there's a lot to be talked about on that particular topic. Um, there's even been a dating app. I think it's called un, un- uninjected that um, is is available now for unvaccinated people only to want to date unvaccinated people. Um, there's a lot of co- sensitive conversations happening of how do two people talk about it if somebody has been vaccinated and somebody has not been vaccinated. And if they have, you know, sometimes on this, there's a spectrum of how much they care about the other person. But these are conversations um, to be had. And a lot of times, you know, they're coming at it to have of these conversations ill-equipped with you know the information everyone just trying to aim to understand because it's um you know it's we're living in like an experimental time of you know and so these topics um are sensitive to be discussed but they are actually really important and i think that through intimate relationship is actually how we um even get to have the hard conversations and get to practice having the difficult conversations yeah. And, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up. I've actually noticed on, I believe it's Hinge, Coffee Meets Bagel, that there is a section where people can indicate whether they are vaccinated or unvaccinated and filter people by their status. So yeah, that is another another component of the dating landscape, right? Like how, how people perceive, um, you know, going about their health in different ways. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a great, very timely <laughs> point to bring up. Mm-hmm. So feminine weapon, uh, how how that nickname came about? So, um, I mentioned earlier that um, you know there was that eight month period of time where I'd produced three concerts in a crowdfunding campaign for a woman centric brand, and that was feminine weapon and. 
prior to that, I had spent about a decade in New York City, corporate America type jobs. I My first job out of college was I launched what became Grubhub and Seamless Web. So I traveled around um, um, the, the country convincing restaurants that the future of food delivery was going to be through the internet. We were creating virtual food courts. At the time, we would fax the orders to the restaurant. Um, people make the order on the internet. We'd fax them to the restaurant and they'd go and deliver. So after that, you know, I... I at a young age, I quickly became the top sales rep of the company. I was like, what next? And everyone was like, well, if you're good at sales, go into pharmaceutical sales. And so I went into pharma, um, was really good at that. And, and I kept, you know, my career, I kept every two years as being like, what next? This isn't right. What next? This isn't right. Of just feeling like uninspired. I'd get to a place where I was like, ah, oh, this world is strange. What else? Uh, and um, I had, I left my job. I was now an entrepreneur for the first time, but I had a lot of self-doubt and and was feeling insecure about it. I didn't have my MBA. Um, I had never raised funding. Who was going to give to me? Uh, and around that time, I was out with a good guy friend, and he said to me, you know, Chris, I created this nickname for you. Don't let this go to your head, but you're a feminine weapon. You're so business savvy, but you're such a girl. And at the at at like when he said that, it's, it was like immediately I felt this like there's a cape had attached to my back and I could fly. And somebody saw me. This is why relationships are so important. It's like he saw in me what I was like not seeing in the moment. And I went home that evening. I went to GoDaddy.com. I typed in feminine weapon. It was available, so I bought it, unknowing what it would become. And I would meet other women and I would share with them. I have this brand, feminine weapon, and they're eyes related like feminine weapon what's that and i was like i don't know but the more when i talked to the more i realized that i wasn't the only feminine weapon there are many women out there with these deep desires and ambitions and on a mission to fulfill them and so i um it became the shared identity and we i started gathering women in new york city um to activate their deepest fullest potential. Our first event was an intro to Kabbalah. And then we did something on the toxins in the cosmetic industry and the risks and relationships. And then we got invited to co-produce Women Rock NYC at concerts. And at the concert, I was like, oh, we created a host committee and did this and that. Like we get so many more people there. And that became the first Feminine Weapon Day, January 30th, 2014. And uh and the first one of the first performers in that show, she had been um working as a full-time volunteer and the marketing director of an organization called the Orphan Starfish Foundation. Uh, the organization uh, has worked with 13,000 children in 27 countries, children of abuse, extreme poverty, human trafficking, and they were bringing um, computer systems and education to these kids. And Delia Janelle, who's the this performer, who's the marketing director and working with them, she is just, she's this, she's like this radiant being of love and beautiful and she is a singer songwriter and so when she would travel to the orphanages she would sing to the children and make sure they knew that they were loved and um she um started a separate organization called art day more which brings these same children art and healing programs and um and so year three we elected 
the organization as the beneficiary to Feminine Weapon Day. And, uh, and we were, the mission was let's provide these children with the healing and relationship education and, um, and the transformational programming that we're getting as grownups and bring that to these kids. You know, there are over 150 million orphans worldwide. There are 17 million children living without a single parent. And if we can be the parents of the universe, um, like we can transcend this. And so that's what Feminine Weapon essentially went out to do. And now it's, it's this one event or this, this event one day a year, January 30th. And um, interesting enough, though, um, I have just postponed it for the first time ever in a decade. This is January 30th will be the 10th annual Feminine Weapon Day. And I, um, I postponed it. And it's, I'm, I'm more and maybe, maybe this podcast will help. I'm seeking um, a, a, a young woman who um, would be interested in coming and taking that and, ch- and chairing that event um, and carrying it forward into the future. Um, and, and I will guide her. Um, I imagine it being a her. Um, so I will guide her and um, support and coach her through that process. And um, we've brought in some of the greatest musicians and live music venues. I have the venue here um, in Austin, Texas, once we have the ready, the, set, the new date ready to go. Um, but for me, I've realized that We Deepen's business is taking off and I'm the founder and CEO and I have um, advisors and investors to be um, um, that I'm held, I'm being held accountable by. And, uh, and so that um that that event is now sitting there waiting for activation and we're going to be gathering people um through to help and i think you know it's interesting of being uh it's almost i i realized for me as it, the event was nearing that it wasn't in flowing it was like why is this so hard to do why I, I, like is the energy so so stuck and I had to listen to that and I realized like I always would say or I would think that like it's time for me to pass the baton on that but in order to pass the baton I need to stop doing it once I stop and say no I can't do this anymore and I've already been feeling like of people stepping forward and being like oh she's just not gonna do it <laughs> like no I'm not gonna do it Oh my God! Well, how can we help? How can we make it happen again? How can we how can we live it? So, that's um, that's where I'm at in this moment with it. Oh my gosh! I love that full circle. How something that was born in such resonance of really realizing a greater extent of your power than you currently were aware of, then it taking shape to become a mass movement, and now feeling like while the movement can and will live on that you're ready to redirect your energy. And, you know, this is the definition of a leader, a delegation to someone who understands the potency of the energy in real time. Mm. So yeah, thank you for sharing that amazing opportunity. We will, we will surely provide some links for anyone who is feeling really spoken to with that invitation. And, oh my goodness, so many nuggets of wisdom. So You know, there are a few questions that I love to ask as we wrap up here, and some of them you have touched on, but I'd love to even just kind of to to wrap us up in a really, um, you know, kind of gold nugget sort of way. Uh, How do you define ambition? How do I define ambition? 
there's like in the word ambition i almost like i can, I can hear this like there's like a an m an emotion it's like i am in motion uh i almost think in simplest terms that's what it is it's being in motion now i can go into like what being in motion isn't important to me like why am i in motion um and what drives my emotion um but i think that's that's essentially what it is and i i recently on my podcast deepen with christina um but my last episode released i think it's like 60 um sevens with dr patrick porter and he talks about some like the 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 like in life like what keeps us alive and um and progressing and and out of anxiety and depression is um number one nutrition number two physicality and number uh, three brain health and i think that ambition is essentially that that motion it's the motion of of life form it's like it's aliveness um it's what you know and, and again each person can be driven by something for me i'm not i'm not driven by money um i'm more driven by like making impact and seeing the world a better place um and actually more of like i'm i have this you know fantasy of the whole world being in harmony with one another and everyone waving hi to each other at the grocery store and um, being friendly everywhere they go and all conflict is you know um completely like eradicated from the planet is my so that's actually what drives me of that idea that maybe that's possible <laughs> and, and how can i get there and that is keeps me in motion oh my gosh i love how you've really kind of even broken down you know phonetically to, to deeper meaning we deepen hello it all <laughs> makes sense and uh and yeah i mean that embodying that sort of uh utopian um sort of ideal i mean how we get there is by believing it's possible that's kind of a cornerstone of entrepreneurship and great romantic love so thank you for that and you know in a word or in a few words how what does holistic ambition mean to you mm. moving for the greater good of the planet humanity and yourself growth yes yes thank you thank you for that and you know this has been such a gosh you had stats you you and you brought our hearts in there you brought our heads in there our spirits so thank you for this really um holistic conversation on holistic ambition and i would love um for people to be able to stay connected with you and learn more about you what's the best way for people to do that uh you can go to wedeepen.com uh, because I spoke about feminine weapon, you can go to feminineweapon.com as well. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn, Christina Weber. You can type that in with with um, We Deepen. You'll find me there easily. Instagram, Christina Weber. Also, if you're interested in the podcast, Deepen with Christina, type that into any podcast app and you'll find that there. Thank you for tuning in to Holistic Ambition. This is Stephanie Toma saying goodbye for now and inviting you to take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.